Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Please be seated. I'm sure you've noticed that every time we say the Lord's Prayer, we plead with God to lead us not into temptation. And presumably the reason we do so is because we know, deep in our hearts, that if we are led into temptation, more likely than not, we will yield to it. By contrast, in our Gospel lesson today, we hear how Jesus was tempted for 40 days in all sorts of ways by the devil, but unlike us, he consistently refuses to yield to temptation. Temptation is one of those things with which we are more familiar than we like to admit in public. We may not all be tempted by the same things, but all of us are tempted in some way or another. In the medieval church, human temptation was often understood in terms of the so-called seven deadly sins. I'm sure you remember them. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and of course, the most pernicious of all, pride. Humanity's struggle with vices such as these is, of course, the stuff of great literature, from Dante to Chaucer to Shakespeare. And, I'm guessing, most of us battle with some or all of these temptations each and every day. Now, what is often misunderstood about these various temptations is that their objects are not in and of themselves evil at all, but are rather good. For example, human sexuality is not a bad thing, but a wonderful thing. Lust is a sin not because it desires sex, but because it does so in an inordinate and distorted way. 
Money is not evil in itself, but is a socially useful thing that allows for the free and efficient exchange of goods and services. It is the unrestrained love of money that is the sin of greed, and so too with the rest of the seven deadly sins. As St. Augustine once explained, everything God has created is good because God only knows goodness. Sin comes into the world only when human beings are tempted to love the good things God has created in a disordered way. And as Dante elaborates Augustine's point in the Purgatorio, human beings are endlessly creative in how they disorder their love of good things. The avaricious, gluttonous, and lustful are guilty of excessive love. The proud, envious, and wrathful are guilty of misdirected love. And the slothful are guilty of deficient love. We sin not by loving evil things so much as by loving good things in excessive, misdirected, and deficient ways. Now, what makes the sin of disordered love possible, of course, is human freedom. It is only because we are free to make choices, to follow this course or that one, that temptation becomes an issue for us. As Genesis teaches, God creates humanity in his image, and in doing so, God gives us the gift of freedom, the capacity to decide for ourselves, to make the choices that determine our future. But the gift of freedom is something that we humans just can't seem to handle. It makes us so giddy with possibility that we lose sight of what is in our best interests. We usually know what we ought to do, but we are invariably tempted and choose to do something else. As St. Paul famously puts it in Romans, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. As the ancient story of Adam and Eve poignantly tells it, human beings cannot seem to leave well enough alone. Rather than humbly enjoying the goodness of our created place in the universe, as God intended, we foolishly insist on having more. We want to be like God himself, to peer behind the curtain of good and evil as if we are the ones in control. And so the story goes, we disobey God's command not to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge, succumbing instead to the temptation of pride, represented by the serpent in the garden. Through such hubris, evil enters the world. Humanity is banished from paradise for our misguided choice. And soon enough, one calamity after another befalls us which brings us to today's gospel. Today's gospel reading about how Christ encounters the devil in the wilderness and overcomes all of his temptations is the antidote, the theological reversal of the fall story in Genesis. Even though Jesus fully feels the pull of temptation because he is, after all, fully human, he nevertheless refuses the invitation to be tempted. 
he chooses not to exercise his freedom to satisfy his own needs or pursue his own agenda. Rather, Jesus adheres to the Father's will, remaining grounded in a life of humility rather than hubris, a life of self-giving rather than self-promotion, a life offered for the good of the community rather than for individual gain. Whereas Adam and Eve were cast out of paradise into the wilderness for yielding to the temptation of hubris, so Christ here, as the new Adam, goes into the wilderness on our behalf and unwinds the storyline by selflessly resisting temptation so as to lead humanity from the wilderness back to paradise. John Milton of course, you may remember from your college days, wrote two poetic masterpieces that tell these stories, Paradise Lost and Paradise Regained. Now, all of this having been said, it would be a mistake to view sin and temptation solely through the lens of our individual struggles with virtue and vice. For there is another very important dimension to sin, Deeply embedded in the biblical text is the view that sin is also a social reality. It is not just that individuals are inclined to sin. It is that our social institutions themselves are subject to the vicissitudes of sin. Each of us is born into a social context, which itself is plagued by a basic brokenness. And St. Paul often talks about this social side of sin in terms of the powers and principalities that disrupt and plague political and community life. We see, for example, in our own society, myriad collective sins and a seemingly intractable gap between the rich and the poor, an educational system that fails to reach many of our most vulnerable children, a market-obsessed culture prone to commodify every aspect of human experience, institutionalized forms of racism and sexism designed to preserve power in the hands of some and take it away from others, and a reckless indifference to our earth that is leading us into a climate disaster. And, of course, as we see all too dramatically in the events in Ukraine, sometimes the destructive hubris of one nation state run amok can wreak havoc with a delicate world order and destroy the lives of millions. All of these social and political dysfunctions are manifestations of sin precisely because they push us apart as human beings, alienating us from ourselves, from our fragile planet, and from God himself. And social sin is particularly insidious because of the power of its external reality. These sins infect the structural realities of social life and seem too big for any of us to change on our own. So where does this somewhat esoteric discussion of the many dimensions of sin leave us? Well, I want to suggest three takeaways this morning. 
three practical takeaways. First, as we begin this season of Lent, I invite each of us to reflect prayerfully on our own lives to examine how our various loves may be disordered and keep us from drawing closer to God and from one another. Perhaps it is pride or envy or anger that is interfering with your relationships, or maybe it is an excessive desire or appetite for various pleasures, or perhaps you are just stuck in a state of fear or panic or timidity or a sense of malaise. Wherever you may be on this spectrum of human brokenness, Lent is the time to pray about such matters and to ask for God's help in removing whatever temptations are standing between you and the wholeness that God desires for you. Second, I would also invite us all to reflect more broadly on our own complicity in the social reality of sin, how we contribute either directly or indirectly to the exploitation of our planet, to economic injustice, to racist and sexist behaviors, or to the proliferation of violence in its many forms. Pick just one such social sin this Lent, one that touches your heart most pointedly, and ask for God's help in taking some small steps towards ameliorating these evils. You may think that your efforts are too small to make a difference, but remember what Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of God. Our faith may start as small as a mustard seed, but it has the power to grow and to take hold and to become something greater than we ever imagined. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, do not lose heart if despite your best efforts, you continue to struggle with sin in its many forms. For if the Bible teaches us anything, it is that we cannot get right with God and with each other merely through our own paltry human efforts. We need God's help, God's help in Christ. It is only by the grace of God, through faith in Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are given the strength to persevere in challenging times, the courage to face all adversity, and are ultimately led safely through the wilderness and brought home again. Blessed be the God who forgives all our sins. May his mercy endure forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved. <laughs>